All right, Chris Hall here for uh, Dogs on Demand on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and everywhere else we can get on. And it's good to have you uh, on our program today. And it's uh, great to have Jeff Sentinel with us from Dog Nation. Uh, he covers, of course, UGA football and UGA recruiting. Jeff, welcome to our program. And let's talk some uh, UGA football, all right? That sounds great, man. It's Hey, it's getting close. It's about that time of year. Oh, man, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's kind of amazing. You look at the calendar and you think, okay, a couple of months here and we're ready to go for a, a new college football season. It's amazing, and I'm ready. Now, you can only, you know, I love the Braves. We're watching the Braves, you know, and that's filling in the gap here, but I'm ready for uh, some college football. So uh, you've been with Dog Nation for how long now? Uh, I was, uh, let me see, going back a ways, uh, 2015 now, uh, oh. the AJC back then, they were trying to create a new website and they felt like the advertisers, they felt like the audience, it's called, it was called a vertical, which is basically, it's a way that, um, you, you zero in on something that fans and readers really want to know about. And instead of having them to click across the website between the Braves and tech and the Falcons and. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, well, they just created one website. And I was actually hired uh, a couple months earlier than that. But I think my first day was like May of 2015. Seth Emerson and I were the first two hires for Dog Nation. Of course, Chip Towers and Michael Carvel were already there. But uh, I, came from, I came from Birmingham. I'd been in Birmingham for eight years. I'd been at Augusta for four years before that. And uh, I did graduate from that uh, wonderful university off Lumpkin Street. Uh, I was a journalism, journalism grad from the Grady School many, many moons ago. Right, right. Well, you do a great job, and uh, we appreciate all that you do to keep us informed about what's happening uh, with UGA, especially with the football program. So let's talk about this. Okay, here we go. Back-to-back uh, -back national championships. You know, two, three years ago, we thought, no, you know, we were we were reaching for one after so many years without a national championship. Then, lo and behold, we 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 you know when your team win it's it wins it's we you know when they lose it's they. So we won you know we won the national championship not once but twice. So um, I don't know. Give me give me your odds odds of UGA winning a third national championship. Let me let me give you some choices. Would it be likely? Would it be eh, maybe so? Would it be not very likely? Would it be no way? What do you think? Can Georgia do it again? <clears throat> now, now, Chris, I'm not trying to sound cagey or like I'm building those casinos in Vegas. But I'm going to say this. Georgia's going to be favored in every game they play. And that, I think when you tee it up and you play that game and the ball can bounce, you can have turnovers. I, injuries can happen. But I think every game Georgia will play this year, they will be favored. And I'll say this. I thought last year Georgia stole one. I thought Georgia wasn't supposed to win one last year, especially after the turnover, especially after the guys going to the NFL and you wondered what they had there. Um, I, I felt that this year and especially next year, I mean, people don't know this yet, and it's a narrative nobody wants to stomp out yet, but I think Georgia's 2023 roster will produce more NFL draftees than the 2021 team. Wow. I think there'll be 15, 16, 17 when you start thinking about it. You go. I can. I've, I've written this so many times, Chris. I can. I can rattle it off. You got Bowers, of course. You got Amarius Mims. You got Cedric Von Prong Granger. You got Tate Ratledge. Uh, you've got on the other side of the ball. You got Kamari Lasseter. You got Shmuel Munden Jr. You got uh, Warren Brinson. You got uh, a guy like uh, Nazir Stackhouse. Nobody even talks about Stackhouse enough. He could probably be a second or third round pick. You start going. Carson Beck has a decent to great year. He could be a first or second round pick. 
You throw in a guy like um, Arian Smith, he will absolutely destroy the combine when he gets to that point. And right now, he's in the most healthiest stretch of his career. I'm going to take Chris. If he gets 30 catches, he's going to have 700 yards. He's just that electric. And then you've got Kendall Milton. You got Dejon Edwards. You got a lot of Bulldogs there. And then what all it all points to, I think, 2024, which sets up as maybe the best team in Kirby's era. And, and I say this with a little bit of trepidation, but I just look at it. And I know the players that were coming in in 2019, 2020, and 21 that built that 2021 team. And I know the players that have came in in 2022 and 2023 and 2024, and they're just better. They're, they're bigger. Georgia's gotten more demonstrative on the offensive lines. Here's a good point. Darion Kendrick, they had to import him from Clemson. Right. Uh, Dan Jackson had to be – thankfully, he was great for Georgia, but he was a walk-on. And then they had to bring in two fifth-year seniors, Latrevious Breen and William Poole, to kind of man that star position. Well, Georgia won't need to plug and play at any of the three levels in 2024 because they're going to be stacked with future All-Americans, former All-Americans, uh, future NFL draft picks. I mean, there are no kind of chinks in the armor, except the only chink you would probably say is that Georgia has an average top-tier SEC defensive line instead of clearly the best defensive line in the conference and maybe the country where they don't have a Jalen Carter, they don't have a Devontae Wyatt, they don't have a Jordan Davis, but newsflash, nobody else does either. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, Georgia's just stacked, and it's the result of the recruiting that Georgia has been able to do, and you just keep plugging and uh, plugging them in. Uh, I noticed something that came out today. Somebody noticed that the national media, and this is their headline now, the national media is doubting Georgia again. You have Reese Davis picking Michigan number one, Herb Street, Alabama number one, Feinbaum, Alabama number one now, and and on down, uh, you know, the list. And really, it doesn't matter who picks what right now. You know, who, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, you know, does Georgia – is Georgia being dissed on the national level, you think, uh, for this coming season? I think it's just variety. I yeah. think it's um, – I think it's also – everybody's got to have a Vogue pick. You remember how last year, I think it was it was Desmond Howard that came out and had Texas A&M in the Final Four with, yeah. I think, four teams that didn't even make it regardless. Yeah. I think you got you got to make a pick at this time of year that's going to draw headlines. And Georgia's not going to draw headlines, but – you know, you got to go back and you're looking at the last team to three Pete. You got to go to Minnesota in the 40s, I believe, if you check everything. But when you, you see all these things, there, there's some – Chris, I've said this for a while. I've said it for like the last three or four years. You can put four teams in a hat, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and then the flavor of the week. That might be FSU this year. It might be USC if they've bought enough defense or they've NIL'd enough defense for their squad. There are really only five teams every year now that are capable of winning a national championship. I think Clemson has dipped a little bit. I don't know if they're in the equation, but you see the players that come in. You see the, the type of talent that comes in. I mean, think about this for a second. This is the And I love the way Kirby's doing this right now because it's the way football teams should be built. Mark Richt years, Georgia always had a quarterback. They always had a running back. They maybe had a skill receiver. They maybe had a flashy Butkus Award winner linebacker or another great safety but they didn't have the guys up front. And what Georgia's doing, <coughs> including replenishing with the guys up front, I think it's amazing. You look at this year's team, the way it's built, Von Prong Granger, you start there. You got Xavier Truss. You got – you got. think about this. Marius Mims is odds-on going to be a top-20 pick. He hasn't even started regularly for Georgia yet, and this will be his first year. I look at guys like Micah Morris, who is an absolute savage. When that guy ever figures it out, he's going to 
demolish people. He's still not starting in Georgia yet. Dylan Fairchild still not starting in Georgia yet. And I feel if those guys could have been starting in a lot of places in the SEC, except for maybe an LSU or an Alabama for the last two years, and they still got one more year before they're the man at Georgia. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's amazing. And the the recruiting that, uh, that is going on now with that offensive line, you know, you read the stats on those dudes and you think, my word, it is truly a great wall of Georgia, you know, that Georgia's putting up. Uh, you know, I think I think one area that maybe Georgia fans have a little apprehension about is in the area of quarterback. And that's nothing new for the past two years, uh, two previous years. No one was really sold that much on Stetson Bennett, you know, and uh, uh, there was a lot of apprehension about him. And what did he do? Win back-to-back national championships, and uh, he goes on down to the NFL. So it it, it appears that Carson Beck's going to be the, uh, you know, he's the man now at the University of Georgia. Vandergriff and Stockton, of course, will be backing him up. Uh, you have Rayola coming in, Puglisi coming in as well in the future. Uh, what do you think about Carson Beck? Is he ready to go? Is he is he going to be the man? And uh, he, is he ready to go? Let me see. I, I, for, I for, Someone really smart told me this. This is how I, the, the things you got to know about Carson is, first of all, and it's recruiting dominoes. At one point, Carson was committed to Alabama, and they absolutely adored having Carson at Alabama. And then uh, it was one of those years where Alabama cleaned house, um, you saw Mike Loxley go to Maryland. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Their passing game consultant, they're kind of like Mike Bobo at the time was Dan Enos. He went to Miami and they really just wiped out their offensive staff. And Carson was kind of like, I don't really know anybody left at Alabama that was recruiting me. So he just restarted his recruitment. Georgia jumped in. There were some family connections there. But then when Carson was clearly committed to Alabama, Nick Saban in Alabama kept kept calling, kept knocking on the door saying, we want you, you're still our guy. And eventually Carson told them no enough that they had to go get Bryce Young. And that's, a, that's one of those funny things in college football that if Carson Beck never says, never says no to Alabama or never decommits from Alabama, Bryce Young maybe doesn't even show up at Alabama. I know Sarkeesian was great. Uh, Sarkeesian knew Bryce Young as well. Maybe Alabama would take two quarterbacks again and do a, and do a Bryce Young, Matt, you know, what they did waiting with Mac Jones and Tua and Jalen Hurts and everything else. But, for the longest time, I, someone told me this, that when Jamie Newman and that not-so-cool departure and that break happened, Jamie Newman, on his way out the door in Athens, basically told Carson, hey, good luck. This is going to be your team. And that was back in 2020 because yeah. um, Newman kind of thought that Carson was the next best guy or the bright guy on the horizon. And Carson's kind of been the heir apparent for at least two years. And the thing about him, I'll never forget, and it's one of those things where he had a phenomenal junior year in high school. He was named Mr. Football for the state of Florida. Um, he led his team, his high school, the first ever state championship. And then the next year, all of his pieces left. Like he had like one other defense, D1 guy, I believe, on his offense, and he struggled. Had an average year. So that's where he fell from like the number 50 quarterback and the number 50 overall prospect and number five quarterback to number 12 and number 120, number 180. He, he fell because of that senior year, but – Carson's always had all the tools he's always had. That's why Aaron Murray has always glowingly spoke about him whenever he's seen some practice stuff and he's ever really watched him. Uh, he's, he's not Joe Burrow, but he's kind of a poor man's Joe Burrow if he's at his yeah. peak. What I mean by that is if, if it's third and nine, he could probably get you nine yards. He's not going to get you 12 or 15 like maybe Brock Vandegrift or Gunnar Stockton would. 
but he drips NFL potential. I remember talking to some NFL scouts when he was coming out. Uh, they were talking to him when he go to these quarterback retreats, and they just say, Carson looks like a future first-rounder. He's 6'4". He can make up all of the throws. I'm sure your audience, Chris, will remember. I know they're diehard dog fans that read, that read and just scrounge up everything and cover <laughs> everything. But, like, you remember George Pickens picked, yeah. uh, picked Carson to throw the ball to him in the pro day because he wanted to show what he could do catching those NFL heat and the NFL missiles. And that was another time when Carson turned heads of pro scouts where they're just like, wow. He's got it. And I think there's comfortability there, and there's really all the weapons in the world around him. He's going to have a clean pocket. Um, I love how people can say conspiracy theories that maybe Georgia might start one, two, or three quarterbacks this year. One thing I'll caution about is Georgia has had so much good fortune at the quarterback position. Jake Fromm didn't miss games. Stetson didn't really miss games. And aside from JT Daniels and his injury concerns, Georgia really hasn't had an injury issue at quarterback. But if you look at the game of football going on like five years now, you usually expect to lose your quarterback for two or three games in any one given season. So you might have an injury situation come up there where a guy like Brock or Gunner gets the shot. But I think the best thing for Carson in terms of him getting his feet wet and comfortable is he's got a very long runway, those first four yeah. games, where he's going to get comfortable, the offensive line's going to be fine, you're going to figure out who your receivers are. I think Dominic Lovett, the guy that came over from Missouri, is just going to be phenomenal. I think he's going to be a guy that is going to cause defenses to pick their poison because they're like, can't put eight in the box because that offensive line and those running backs, we got to do something to at least bracket or double uh, Brock or put our best coverage safety on Brock. And then what are you going to do with Dominic Lovett on the other side? And you're going to have Dylan Bell emerging a little bit more this year. I haven't even mentioned Lad McConkey, who will probably be a third-round pick in the NFL after this season. And then you got Marcus Rosary Jack Saint, you got Arian Smith. Georgia's never had as many offense, as many offensive weapons. And now Carson's got to get in the cockpit and he's got to steer that jet. He's got to fly that jet. But Carson has all the weapons, all the Tomahawk missiles, all the all the missiles, all the flares, everything he wants at his disposable to really have Georgia around 40 points per game again this fall. Yeah, I'm mad. I'm ready. Yeah, you know, Georgia, again, stacking up a top recruiting class for 2024. It's amazing. You know, what's, in your opinion, what's the secret of UGA, its recruiting prowess? Is it one thing? Is it a combination of things? And how how frustrating is that for other SEC schools to look at Georgia just continue to do what they do on the recruiting trail? Uh, What do you think about UGA and recruiting? So I'd like to always add some perspective to this question, Chris, because everybody remembers the DeLorean and Back to the Future. You get 80 mile, 88 miles an hour and you go back in time, right? right. If we, went, if we back, went back in time like four or five years ago, what were the biggest selling points for Georgia? Probably the fan base, how you'd be revered at the University of Georgia, be a great education, or, or the simple fact that Athens, Georgia is an incredible place to be on a Saturday and a Saturday night. Uh, now I think those things are probably five, six, seven, eight on the food chain in terms of Georgia can sell the following. And I still think every young, young man I talk to, the most important thing on their mind is shaking Roger Goodell's hand in three years. Yeah. They want to be a first rounder. You know, when you shake Goodell's hand, you're a first round pick. And Georgia has unparalleled NFL draft success over the last two years. They're the new standard. They have eclipsed Alabama. They're putting guys in the league on the defensive side. They're putting guys in the league now on the offensive side. They're putting tackles in the league. They're going to put a tight end in the first round. They're going to 
They're going to dot it everywhere. And then they can combine that with their winning. They're winning as well as anyone. And I think the main thing that helps George on this recruiting trail in the age of NIL is they, they, they can preach and they can sell Georgia. And what I mean by that is if you're an offensive lineman, you're probably going to practice against four future NFL defensive linemen every day. Yeah. Same thing with wide receivers and corners. Same thing with linebackers and running backs. If you're quarterback, you're going to go against five-star DBs and five-star safeties, and it's going to feel a lot like the NFL. The games are going to be easier than practice. Oh, and then you start mixing in. They win a lot. You, you're adored by the foundation, by the, by the dog nation. You've got incredible game day environment. The facilities are now top-notch, but it's funny, Chris. I laugh about it. Facilities not really going to matter because of the money that was going towards facilities is now going towards NIL. Yeah. Like those, de- those days of the fancy weight rooms being green-lighted and somebody writing a check. To, you know, I want to I have the weight room named after me. I want to have the practice field named after me. I think those things are definitely on the opposite end of what we're going in the tunnel right now. And really a lot of young men, I, I think that it's circulated a lot, but a lot, of, a lot of guys would get dressed in a broom closet as long as their NIL check cashes every month. <laughs> and, and, and that's really what it is. And, and I think you can combine all that. I think it's just so powerful. Like other schools will pay now upwards of hundreds and thousands of dollars for, to, come play for, to come play at their spot. And Georgia doesn't have to do that because they can say, now they'll be competitive. They'll offer some NIL, but they're not going to break the bank. But what they can say is the Georgia platform means you're going to go against the best every day. You're going to play in December. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be in the big games. You're going to do it in incredible facilities. And I think that's what people want. They can watch. Like, look at Carson Beck this year. He's going to wait until 2023. He had 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023 where he can play a lot of players mary smims 2021 22 they can play and when those guys do that and they wait and then they go to the nfl it's a win-win ever like all the ways you can negatively recruit georgia i think are just about gone i think the only thing that lasts anymore is georgia's never had a thousand yard receiver or not one since the great terrence edwards and you might have two guys with 800 900 yards this year i think love it will be that fantastic and i think bowers will be as bowers will be bowers yeah i, I now, what what about the in the SEC? You know, this is the last year for divisions in the SEC. So let's take a look at the SEC East. Georgia obviously will be favored not only to to win the East but to win the conference as well. Who do you think is the biggest threat to uh, UGA in the SEC East? Yeah, that's a good question. I like I like what I, I think Florida looks like a five six win team. I'm sorry to disappoint everybody there that wanted the Gators to be a little bit higher on the hog. I think Tennessee has got a lot of pieces. I think they've got that offense that has them um, going to be in every game, going to score a lot of points. Is it a pro offense? Some might think not. I think South Carolina might take a step forward. I think South Carolina versus Tennessee will probably decide who the number two team is in the SEC. But you look all over, you know, there's ways you can look online and look at projected depth charts. And you see a lot of guys that um, – a lot of like Hugh Freeze, for example, I think you look all over their starting lineup at Auburn, their offense and their defense, and they're mostly they're mostly transfer portal guys. They tried to do what LSU did a year ago, trying to you know basically reboot their team with a lot of a lot of new faces and a lot of new guys. And you see Georgia, I mean, outside of Ra Ra Thomas and Smoke Bowie and and Dominic Lovett, that's it. The core, the culture, everything that's made Georgia great is still there, and they're still back. And in some ways, Georgia's going to be a little bit better on the field and other places. I think 
really, when you see, is it going to be Tennessee? I, I don't think Devin Leary at Kentucky is going to mean a lot. We don't even need to waste any of our airtime talking about uh, Vanderbilt and everything else like that. But I, I, I think I think those are the two schools to look at. And it might be just an example of which team's healthier in certain games to become, you know, who's the number two team in the East? Because you look at the West, you got a few obvious contenders there. Yeah, what about the West? Who do you think is going to come out there? Alabama, LSU, uh, Arkansas's looking pretty good. Well, who do you think? I think Arkansas case can be made that they probably have the best returning quarterback in the SEC with KJ Jefferson, especially when you add in his legs. I think he had nine touchdowns on the ground and almost thirty through the air. And you got to wonder who's going to win that Alabama job. You know, one of the things that really interests me about Alabama and wondering if this is a dip or this is an actual drop is when they have to go to the transfer portal to find key players. Yeah, uh, Tresman Marshall was a great, great football player, but he just wasn't the best linebacker at Georgia. And he kept waiting and he kept waiting and he got recruited over a little bit. And he goes to Alabama and I think he was one of the MVPs of their spring game, starter at linebacker. You see, you see Alabama having to go get DBs from Tulane or go get another quarterback out of the transfer portal as well. And that doesn't bode well for what they're having to do with the game's most important position. I like LSU in terms of what they continue to have. And they've got definitely maybe the second best returning quarterback in Jaden Daniels. Uh, they've got a great backup behind him. They've got some offensive line pieces. They've got dynamic talents on defense. I think LSU is a team that I think has a lot going for it. But as much as I want to sit there and, and say Alabama is Alabama, I do know that they brought in, I think, probably a guy who I think will be the offensive rookie of the year in the SEC and Justice Haynes and probably the offensive rookie of the year. I know they don't have this thing in the SEC. It's not like Major League Baseball. But I think the defensive, the, the most valuable defensive freshman, Caleb Downs as well, they, they've got an infusion of, of a lot of young talent. I think Alabama has strayed a few years in terms of the way they need to build their team. They've missed on a lot of offensive line and defensive line prospects, and that's why they've kind of suffered. They can't go back and run the ball when they have to, and they're still trying to figure out who their quarterback is going to be as well. And I think, you know, you wouldn't swap Georgia's – I don't think I'd swap Georgia's quarterback situation with anybody in the SEC, and that's considered to be a minus for the dogs or a big question mark for the dogs. But when you consider – you got two guys in Vandegrift and, and, and Carson Beck that were rated – a Elite 11 quarterback. They were rated among the best quarterbacks in the country, and they've marinated in Athens for at least two seasons now and had to go against that salty defense all the time in practice. I think I really said this earlier, and that's what I believe. Georgia's practice culture, the practice crucible at Georgia, the pressure cooker, is so strong and so stellar that it makes the games a lot easier. Yeah, and you know, you, and you hear that from players, you know, almost like the games are a relief, you know, from the practice of, of the week in, in practice. Uh, what about nationally? You know, as you, you just look across the landscape, the usual suspects are going to be there. Of course, Michigan, Ohio State, and uh, USC. Uh, any surprise teams? Maybe uh, like from TCU last year, uh, any surprise teams you, you might be looking at nationally? I think Florida State's going to be able to put enough together this year. they got a couple of transfers. I think they've got a returning quarterback. They've got some weapons at wide receiver. I, I think they've got enough there to maybe – be the flavor of the year this year in the ACC and not Clemson. Uh, I would go back to Ohio State. I think they'll have the best wide receiver room in the country. Uh, I think Ohio State's just got to figure out. They've got an unproven former five-star quarterback as well, trying to take it over there. And I really do think USC has spent some money. They've they got Bear Alexander, everybody knows. They got 
another transfer from uh, some Texas A&M, another, another former defensive lineman. And they're going to be in a lot of games where maybe they don't have to score 45 to win, where they only have to score 38 to win. And I think that'll be helpful. <laughs> as much as I have it, as much as Utah – now, that's just for them to make noise and get through the Pac-12. But I'm going to tell you, USC probably doesn't want any part of Georgia because if Georgia gets a USC on the field – they're going to line up. They're going to get in their 12. They're going to j- jump tight ends on the field, and they're going to maul them. And that part of the game in the trenches, I don't think USC is built to play a football game like that. And perhaps the ge- genius of Georgia over these last couple of years is they can they can play that smash-mouth game that old Georgia loves it and all those run the D-A-N-G ball hats mm-hmm. they love to see. But they can also throw it around and throw for 400 yards if they want to now, especially with a quick game, especially feeding an un- unguardable tight end. They're, they built to win a lot of ways, but I go back to the way they beat Alabama in the penultimate moment when that 33 to 18 game is when Georgia had to win the game. They, 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 they got their right people in there. They brought Broderick Jones in there. They moved Jamari Salyer into a guard and they said, Alabama, just stop us because here's, here it comes. And Alabama couldn't stop it. And that's one part of college football. Everybody can talk scheme. They can talk transfer portal. They can talk players, but nobody has the dudes on the lines in the trenches still that the Georgia Bulldogs do. Uh, what about Dion in Colorado? What do you expect out of that? Uh, you know, that's going to be interesting uh, what he's done in Colorado, uh, you know, uh, uh, dismissing all the players essentially and restocking uh, his uh, his his roster there. What do you think about Dion in, in Colorado? I think, his young, I think his son Shadur is a really good quarterback. He's probably one of the top 15, 20 quarterbacks in college football. And I think Travis Hunter is going to be electric. He's going to be a playmaker. And I think they're going to look – they might have one of the toughest schedules in the country, especially how poor they were last year. They didn't win hardly any ball games at all last year. And for a lot of folks think if Deion gets them to four or five wins this year, he may be the coach of the year in college football. I think they'll always be on TV. I think they'll be very entertaining. But you got a program in Colorado, like, there's no way they're going to be a top 25 team with that schedule. But if they end up winning four or five games – you're going to say Dion did a great job because he's already sold out the entire stadium. My big concern for Dion is just simply his health. You hear about things with amputations and now he might have to lose a foot. He's had some health scares recently where um, I think Dion Sanders of Colorado was good for college football because otherwise Colorado would be a stagnant defunct. Nobody pays attention to their program. And now what they've done is they've, they kind of add some interest level to the PAC 12 as well, where, a lot of people are going to be watching Colorado play football because how they're going to play, what they're going to do. But my mind's eye tells me is when you turn over that much of a football team from a team that wasn't that good to begin with, that you'd be lucky to get close to 500. You know, uh, times are changing in college football. I mean, really changing in the last few years. You got division realignments, conference additions, expanded playoffs, NIL, transfer portal, things we didn't even think about three or four years ago. You know, what do you think about all of this that's happened in college football in the last, um, you know, three to four years? And what's next? What's coming up next? What do you think? I think uh, the teams that win are going to teams that have adapted to it over the last year or two. The teams that don't have to go to the portal for wholesale changes, but maybe, you know, some touch up pain at a certain position, or maybe we need a little bit of spackle here in terms of we need another tight end, we need another guard. I think that's what the tra- transfer portal should really be used for. Um, you've got a, you've got situations now where like Georgia, for instance, here's a great example. Like if there's already a lot of hardship trying to recruit a kid now and it's bumpy and it's hard and it's a back and forth, 
Well, Georgia currently now is kind of like, you know, we don't need this because it's going to be hard enough to keep you when you're not playing as a freshman anyway. They want the guys that want to be dog fans. I think Pierce Sperling, the freshman, the third-generation Bulldog, said it best. As he said, I'm watching what Georgia's going after. Georgia's getting great football players, of course, but they're getting great football players that love that they're at the University of Georgia. And on a scale of 1 to 10, if Georgia takes a guy that's an 8.2 at one position instead of a 9.0, that's probably better going to serve them in the long run because those guys are going to be there. Georgia absolutely is a grind. It is so hard to get to be able to get to Saturday and play the game. Like you, you hear the linemen, I hear the freshman linemen or the, the, <laughs> the, the recruits when like they get paired up with, with Tate Ravage, for example. Tate Ravage told a priority offensive line recruit on the official visit. He's like, man, I'm going to tell you, it's horrible here. It's tough yeah. here. You're going to hate it. You're going to want to leave after your freshman year or some point in your freshman year. And that's the point where you're going to feel like it's, you get, you're going to feel if you don't feel that way, something's wrong because that first freshman year in Georgia is psychological warfare where you've got to survive. You've got to grind. You've got to get beat on. You're not going to play a lot. Except maybe Georgia this year when they have UT Martin and all these other games like this, but you're just going to have to survive that first year in terms of getting through it, learning it, adjusting it. And you'll be better off in the long run, especially when a lot of people want to play, but Georgia tells them like, like one of the things Kirby tells, recruits when they come in now is he has five things and it's like um which are the most important things to you and when a kid says i have to start or play right away that's almost an immediately immediate turnoff for the georgia staff because they're like son you know how hard it is to play here (laughs) much less anywhere and you want to play on the in the lines where everybody that's playing now is like 21 22 years old and you're 18 years old that's the one thing where kids come in and say, I've got to play right away. I've got to start. I'm going to be the guy right away. That's not going to happen in Georgia because Georgia's reached the point, Chris, where if the players are starting in for Georgia and playing for Georgia as freshmen, I think it says more about what your program has or does not have rather than how special that young man is or how yeah. impressive that young man is. Now, Brock Bowers is a unicorn. He probably would have played whenever. But a lot of these guys are going to have to wait their turn and they're going to have to buy their time behind guys that have been there for forever. I think a great example is the defensive line. Think about this for a second. Warren Brinson came in in the 2022-2020 recruiting class. Same thing for uh, Nazir Stackhouse. Same thing for uh, Zion Logue. Those guys have been waiting for the 2023 season to finally be the guy uh, behind some NFL first-rounders, and they're pillars of the team right now, and that's kind of the way it should be. Yeah, I you know, as we uh, come to the end of the program, we've we've talked a lot uh, about some very good things about the upcoming season. Uh, what do we need to talk about that we haven't talked about as we look forward to 2023? Anything out there we need really to kind of focus in on, maybe? I think it's crazy that the recruiting is almost over. I think Georgia's yeah. going to end up with about 30, 31 guys in the class. they got 26 now. I think Georgia should, should because the hearts and minds of teenage boys are always fickle, especially when NIL is thrown their way. But I think Georgia should finish, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say this like simply or without any sort of deadpan, but I think Georgia will have the greatest recruiting class they've ever had this year. Wow. They're going to they're gonna have two Elite 11 quarterbacks. They're going to have the number one quarterback. They're going to have the number one safety. They might very well have the number one defensive lineman, the number one um, – the number one cornerback, I said earlier, number one safety, but the number one cornerback is what I meant. The number one safety is still on the table, potentially in K.J. Bolden. There's a world where it's not too far-fetched where they can end up with three of the nation's four top prospects uh, in this class. That would be 
uh, Elvis Robinson, the fourth, he's already committed. Dylan Riola, he's already committed. And then the, the five-star lineman out of uh, Missouri, uh, Williams Winery. Three of the top four, and then they could have, like right now they have, I think, 12 guys in the top 100. They have 18 out of the top 180. Like 10% of the top 180 guys they have. And they've done it by, like, I think it's fascinating how Georgia's building. They're going to turn over four or five offensive linemen out of this class. We talked about Nims, Von Prahn, Truss, uh, Tate Ratledge. Those guys will move on. Maybe there'll be an elder statesman that decides to graduate or move on in the portal. But that's why they're taking six offensive linemen. And you look around the country, Alabama has one offensive line commitment right now. Clemson has one. Uh, LSU has two. Like, the way Georgia is building for the future – um, is indicative of what they, their core DNA traits are, is that we're going to be physical, we're going to move you off the ball, and then all this other good stuff is going to come after that because they realize that championship football teams are built from the outside, um, from, excuse me, from the inside out in terms of the trenches going out to the skill and going out to the edges. And you're going to see, you know, in Georgia football, maybe you'll see your first night game in forever this fall. Yeah. So that'll, that'll be great to see. That'd be uh, cool. You're going to see Georgia almost become, you know, like the New York Yankees of college football because yeah. I, I don't, I, I feel the way Georgia's recruiting, if you wanted to set for the next five years and you want to set the bar for championships, I think the over under line might be one or two, maybe one and a half might be the way to do that. And I think this is the thing I've been, I'm go, I go to Bulldog clubs a lot in the fall and in the summer and they ask me these, these sorts of things. And I said, I'm not trying to shock you here, but I'm just speaking from the heart about what I see. And there might be a chance where you look back at 2021 and 2022 and say, those probably weren't Kirby Smart's best teams. Yeah. Or I, w- I don't want to say my buddy Brandon Adams says those will be the lean years. And that's, that's a little too far on one side. <laughs> but, but comparatively speaking, there's not going to be any drop off. There's not going to be any decline. I think that the coolest thing to look for is the how football will change. What I mean by that is, let's say typical Georgia schedule in the playoff era. Let's say they're eleven and zero. And you remember in years past where uh, DeAndre Swift got hurt against Tech, or George Pickens threw a, a bumblebee against the side of the stadium wall, and he missed some time and he got suspended or whatever. Well, you'll start thinking, I'm going to start to look for if NFL tendencies don't creep into college football, like. Yeah. If you've already got a number one seed and you're undefeated, do you really need to play them that last game against Georgia Tech where somebody could get hurt? Or if you know you're going to play Alabama twice, like you're going to play Alabama in the SEC championship game and then again in the playoffs, are you going to shoot your best shot? Are you going to throw your best scheme out there? Are you going to try and be a little, well, let's play some ball. Let's try to win, but let's not empty the kitchen sink in terms of our scheme or our adjustments or how we're going to defend things. I think that's going to be really interesting in terms of what the playoffs look like and like how much, simply put, how much NFL type tendencies creep into college football where, you know, you can lose a game um, and still win it all. Yeah, amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure to have Jeff Sindel with us from Dog Nation and uh, the AGC. And uh, Jeff, uh, thank you for being with us on our program today. It's been a lot of fun talking to you about uh, Georgia football and uh, football in general. Can't wait for it to come and let's get it going, right? Chris, yeah, man, I, I, I always get excited around this time of year when I was a little kid because when the All-Star break rolled, rolled around, the Home Run Derby, I was like, I was like, not only is summer here, but it also means football's right around the corner. Media days is right around the corner. And, you know, I just want to say this, like, you know, all we do, all of us in the media business, we do is we try to connect 
with these wonderful fans who have a, a vicarious, insatiable appetite right. for Georgia football and for what you guys do in your programs and your podcasts. You help feed the masses. And uh, we, we, I mean, I appreciate everybody that does what we do because, you know, Georgia football has a special audience. It's got a special fan base that um, they love their Bulldogs. And I just want folks to know that, man, these times, grandma and grandpa that were talking about the 80s, yeah. These these times are these times are better than the eighties. Actually, last year for a story, Chris, I went and looked back and I saw like in the eighties, you know, during the Herschel run, 43, 4, and 1 was what Georgia did during 80 through 83. And get this, if you were a college freshman that enrolled in Georgia in 2020, 2020, here's some things. You've only seen them lose three games. Yeah. Period. None of those games were in Sanford Stadium. If we look back at those losses, one was in Jacksonville, one was in Tuscaloosa, and then one of them was the loss they had, um, the loss they had in, in that first year. Um, so, like, you look at it, that was 2020 and that's 2021 and the loss in the SEC championship game. You haven't seen them lose at Sanford. You've seen them win two national titles, and you've seen them basically go 8-2, and 14-1, and 15-0. and 0. You know, The glory days, the glory years, they're right here, brother. And it's better than it's ever been. I even went back and did an autopsy on that 80 season and that, 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 that 43, four and one. And like Georgia had like 15 games that were decided by a touchdown or less. Yeah. I think, I think Georgia has only had like a handful of games during this run that were decided by a touchdown or less. So you got to think about um, Notre Dame seven, that, that time they won 17 to 10 in Sanford in 2019. Um, very few times has this team been challenged, and I, I hope folks have realized how good they've got it right now because uh, it doesn't happen often. It might just be one of those Nebraska Cornhuskers type runs of the nineties. Yeah, and yeah, that championship game last year where they just dismantled TCU, it's still an. I still go back and watch it sometimes. It's an amazing game that uh, Georgia played against a pretty good TCU team. Uh, just amazing. Well, Jeff, thank you for being with us today, man. And we look forward to having you back, and let's talk some more about the UGA football, okay? Love to be on there, man. Thanks for the invitation. All right.